I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure everybody in this room at some point or another has had that intrusive knock at your door. And when you go to the door, you open the door and there is someone from a religious organization who wants to come into your house on your day, whether it's a Saturday or a Sunday, maybe it's an evening, and they want to come in and they want to tell you all the stuff that they know about God because what they know about God is far different than what you know about God. And if you know anything about God, it's probably false anyway. And they are the truth tellers and they've got secret truth that you don't know, and so you need to let these people into your home to share this truth with you. And we all kind of want to go like, no, please go away. And so what we do is we kind of, not being really rude people, we'll entertain them right at the door, trying to keep them at bay so that they don't come into our house and make themselves comfortable and then go ahead and take the next, you know, three or four or five hours of our time. What we would really like to do is just um, be really blunt and forthright with them and tell them to get off the, my property, you scoundrel, or I'll shoot you. That's what we'd like to do, but we don't do that. And Jesus doesn't want us to do that either. Um, so what do we do? How do we get rid of them? You know, back when I was first in ministry and I had a bunch of of young adults that would come and help me with youth ministry stuff. I had this one guy. He was pretty interesting cat. He, he moved down to where we lived in British Columbia from way up in the northern part of Alberta around, around Slave Lake, and he worked in the oil field. So he's pretty rough cut guy. Anyway, so he, um, he was making some, change, some pretty drastic changes in his life, and he was going through college to become a journeyman carpenter. And so he was going to school. And he, had, he bought a house and he had a roommate and his roommate was doing all this stuff. And so, you know, Tim is off in, in his room and he has a shower attached to his room. And, and so he's getting ready to go to school and his roommate's getting ready to go to work. And at, you know, like 7.45 in the morning, there's a knock on the door. His roommate opens the door and it's some somebody one of those religious groups that wants to come in and tell you all the stuff that you don't know. I'm not going to tell you the name of the group, but their initials are JW. And they're standing there, and Tim's roommate goes like, I just don't have time to talk to you right now because I'm headed out for work. And they go, well, is there anybody else we can talk to here? And they, he says, well, the guy that owns the house actually is here, but he's in getting ready to go to school, so I'm going out. And he left the door open, and so these folks just helped themselves and came into the house and sat down. And, but his roommate really quickly ran in and said, hey, Tim, there's some guys out here wanting to talk to you. And Tim said, Tell them to go away. He said, I told them, but they're not leaving. They're just sitting in the living room. So Tim's like, oh. So Tim gets out of the shower, and he's in his bedroom. And so he just kind of yells through the door. He goes, hey, folks, I really don't have time to talk to you today, so you guys just need to leave. Please go away. And they're going, no, no, we'll, we're not going to take much of your time. Matter of fact, while you're getting ready, we'll talk to you. And he goes, no, you don't understand. I don't want to talk to you. They said, it's okay. While you're eating breakfast, we'll talk to you. He's going, no, you just don't get the point. 
I don't want to talk to you. I don't have time to talk to you. I'm not interested in what you're peddling or selling or whatever it is you're trying to do. I'm not interested, so please go away. They said, no, we'll just wait for you. So Tim said, okay. So he goes out and he's got his towel and he's drying his hair. And he sits down across from them in the living room and they're like this. Because Tim is drying his hair, but he's stark naked. I mean, he walked in on them absolutely jaybird naked. And he sat down and they said, well, excuse me, sir, before we have a conversation, you need to go put some clothes on. He goes, it's my house. If I want to sit here naked, I'll sit here naked. If you don't like it, you can leave. They left. Now, I am not suggesting that's the way to handle these folks because there are better ways that God wants us to deal with these kind of people. And, and that's the problem that we have. There are so many religious groups out there who want to come and they want to take up your time. They want to bend your ear. They want you to listen to what they have to say. And what they do is they make it sound like what you already believe is very close to what they believe. The only difference is they have some secret stuff that they believe that is going to enlighten you if you believe what they believe. They talk about Jesus as though he is the same Jesus that you worship. They do all this stuff and you start to go like, man, there's a lot of similarities here. There are a lot of things that are very um, common to what I believe. So they must be pretty close to what the same thing is. And so then you sit down and you start to entertain them in a conversation hoping that you find this common ground between the two of you and you, you share this, this holy moment. But the problem is, is that as you delve into what they believe, as you start to unearth it, you dig deeper into it, you start to uncover the, the things that they're showing to you, all of a sudden you realize that what they're telling you the, about the Jesus they're worshiping, the problem is, is the Jesus they're worshiping looks nothing like the Jesus of the Bible that you worship. And so now you've got a huge problem. Matter of fact, that's why um, in John's first letter to the churches, he said this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. He, you know, that's one of the things we can't do these days. We cannot just blindly accept everything anybody has to say to us that's on a spiritual level. Because there are a lot of spiritual people who are telling you a lot of spiritual things, and a lot of that spiritual stuff they're telling you is just good old-fashioned hogwash. It doesn't amount to anything. It's not worth anything. It doesn't do anything for you. It won't help you in any way establish and understand and know Jesus in a deeper way. And so there are things that we need to do. And what one of those things that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to test the Spirit and, and find out if they are truly Christ followers. And there are two major things that you want to do in testing those spirits. The first one is you want to make sure that when they're talking about Jesus, they are talking about Jesus, the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God. In other words, that he was pre-incarnate, he was the Son of God involved in creation. When it says in Genesis chapters 
1, 2, and 3, that, that God spoke the word and it was created. That God that it's referring to is the incarnate Christ. He's the one that spoke it and it happened. The, then you want to make sure that, that pre, the, that's the pre-incarnate Christ. The incarnate Christ is the one that was born to the Virgin Mary. So then you start talking about the virgin birth. And you ask them, do you believe in the virgin birth? That Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. And he came as a man, but he was fully man and fully God. That's why we call him Jesus Christ. Remember from last week, Jesus is his human name, and Christ is his divine title. So you ask them those questions. And if they are kind of backpedaling and they're not real sure, or they're sidestepping your question, the next thing you want to talk to them about is the Trinity. You ask them straight up, do you believe in God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Through one God in three essences. And if they say, no, you're messed up, you say, adios amigo. Don't come back. And, and we, we have those people go. But sometimes we have to do a little bit more research. We have to dig a little bit deeper because sometimes they'll even say yes because of, of what you're saying. They want to have a conversation with you and dispel some of the things you're telling them and they're very good at arguing. So here, what we're talking about today out of the second letter of John to the church, here's what he says in verse 7. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ, uh, Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Once again, now if you remember from our first study in the first letter that John wrote, he talked a lot about deceivers and people who had gone out into the world, people who were trying to get into the church to cause problems. And so here, he's kind of coming back to that whole theme, and he's saying in his second letter, he's going, hey, remember this is what I told you. Remember this is what we have to deal with. Because he doesn't want the church to allow false teaching or false doctrine or even false teachers to come in and infiltrate the church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about you, the people. You are the church collected this morning, gathered. If you look back there at the coffee bar, you'll see there's a, a sign that says gather. That's because that's what the church does when it comes in this building. We gather. After this service is over, we scatter. And that's what God wants us to do. That's the ebb and flow of the church. We gather so that we can scatter. And the reason why we gather is so that we get a better understanding of who Jesus is, that we have a clearer picture of what the, what the um, um, mission that Jesus has given to us, and then we follow through on that mission, and we go and do what Jesus has called us to do. That's why we scatter. We scatter out into this community, and we rub shoulders with people who have no clue about who Jesus really is. So we scatter, and then one week from today, we gather. It's the ebb and flow. But we also do this, little side note, infomercial. We have small group ministries so that as you're going through your week and you're going like, man, I'm having a pretty tough week. There is some day during that week 
that you get to gather in a smaller setting where you're going like, hey, I'm having a really difficult time. Here's some things I've been facing in life. Here are some of the issues I face at work. These are the things that are eating my lunch today. It's consuming my thoughts. I don't feel like I'm really walking in, con- in, in connection with Jesus. Can you help me? And somebody in that small group says, here's what the Word of God says. And so they read something to you, and they give you a verse, and you're going like, man, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. And then they gather around you, and they lay their hands on you, not always, but sometimes, and they'll pray for you, and they'll lift you up. And at the end of that night, you go like, I can finish this week because I know that God is in me and with me. So we gather together, we scatter, then we gather back a little bit a little few of us, and then we, we so this is the, the movement of the church. And so when, when John says, don't let those deceivers in, he's going, don't let them in into your home, don't let them into your small group, don't let them come in and worship with you. I mean, there are things that we really need to do to protect the integrity of the gospel of Jesus that we are living by. Now, some of you might be going like, yeah, but what about our responsibility to share the gospel with them on an occasion? Okay, you find out. That's why we test the Spirit to see where they're at. We want to know what is your motivation behind what you want to do with this group that you're coming to be with. Are you trying to infiltrate to cause a problem to to plant your seeds of deceit into this body or are you truly coming because you're saying what you've been studying and what you've been hearing and what you've been learning doesn't work for you and you absolutely see that there is nothing about God in what you are learning. At that point we go, come on in, let's have a conversation about the reality of who Jesus is. And that's what John's talking about. That's what he wants us to do. Because we have all this stuff going on around us. Now, there's this word that he uses here in this verse, and it's the, um, the word antichrist. And a lot of times what we hear when we hear antichrist, we think of the end times when the antichrist is going to come. And then shortly after that, he sets up his rule, and there's this world government and this world religion and all the rest of this stuff, and Christians are being persecuted and slaughtered, and you're going like, I don't want to be around at that time. Please, Jesus, take me before then, or something like that. you know. Um, and, and so you've got this antichrist, and we're all going to have to take a number on our foreheads or somewhere like that, and it's you know the 666, the mark of the beast, and blah, 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 blah. And it scares everybody, Right? And, and the Antichrist, and we're all scared of the Antichrist. That's not the Antichrist that John's talking about here. That's the one you find in Revelation. But what he's talking about is that there have been, right from, from the ascension of Jesus into heaven, and after the church was formulated, there have been Antichrists in, in, in infiltrating into the church ever since then for 2,000 years. And let me tell you what Antichrist means. What it simply means is that it's, it's someone who is against Christ or in the place of Christ. Get that? The Antichrist is someone who is against Jesus or wants to take his place. So when he talks about many deceivers gone into the world, deceiver and Antichrist, they could be one and the same person. Because they, what these people do is they don't come and they don't confess that Jesus is coming back in the flesh. That's a big thing. You know, I gave you two markers at the beginning. There's the third one. Is Jesus going to come back 
and claim all of those people. He's going to do the old separation of the sheep from the goats. All those who believe and have followed Christ, who've put their faith in Jesus, they're going to go with Jesus into heaven. And the ones that he separates out, the ones who do not love Jesus, and if you don't love Jesus, you hate Jesus, then you're separated off and you go off to eternal punishment. There's that day that is going to come. And there are people who do not believe that that is going to happen. That's another testing point. So let me make it clear about our church. Because our church does believe in the second coming of Christ. We say that Jesus is our Savior. He is our sanctifier. He is our healer. And He is our coming King. And one day He is going to come back to earth and He is going to claim all of His children and He is going to set every wrong right. And that's going to be a glorious day. Because then all this stuff that we've ever had to worry about, all the things that eat our lunch, all the illnesses, all the sicknesses, all the things financially that are holding us down, all the relational issues that we've been dealing with, everything that we've had to deal with, all kinds of addictions, those things are all going to be cleared up. And we will never have to deal with that stuff again because we are going to be in the presence of God, the Father, and Jesus the Son with the Holy Spirit. And things are absolutely going to be perfect the way God meant for them to be. And we will celebrate that. That's what we're looking forward to. That is why we are a church of disciples who are going to make disciples. That's what we want to do. We want to be disciples who are making disciples. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. That's what we're about. Now, the history of the church is inseparable from the history of Satan's attempts to destroy the church. Did you know that? Did you know that the, the, that the enemy of our soul is the enemy of Jesus, is the enemy of the church, has been out for 2,000 years to destroy the church? We've been told to be aware of the schemes because the enemy of the church comes as an angel of light. As an angel of light. In other words, if you're not on your, on your toes, if you haven't been reading the Word of God, if you haven't really been understanding what God's calling you to do and where to go, how to perceive the things that are going on around you, you're going to miss out the fact that there is someone deceiving you who comes as an angel of light. They are a deceiver. He has only come to... He's got three things on his agenda. To rob to rob you of your joy, to rob you of your, your chance to know Jesus as your Savior, to rob you of God's peace. He's come to destroy. He's come to destroy your relationship with other people, particularly your relationship with other people in the body of Christ. He's come to destroy your life. He's going to want to destroy people's lives and, and have them overdose on drugs before they have, or have a chance to hear about Jesus. And he's going to kill. He wants to kill everything that is of God. He wants to kill human beings. Do you know why Satan wants to kill human beings? Because of all creation, everything that's created, we are the only ones that are created in the image of God. We are image bearers of God, and Satan hates that. And so he wants to destroy the very image of God. So don't be fooled. For 2,000 years, he's been trying to do everything he can. And, and, and there have been a lot of challenges for the church, outside of the church. 
In, in the first century, there was all kinds of persecution that went on for the next three centuries. And then in the third century, there was a, a movement made by the Roman emperor that legalized Christianity. And it became the national or world religion where people were following Jesus. But I'm not sure that it was exactly following the Bible. You can do your own church history research or world history and find out for yourselves. But So there were things that were going on all around. And so there was dangers from outside the church. But the greatest danger that's ever faced the church rises from within. Because it's from within the church where false teachers, peddlers of error, who masquerade as teachers of truth, come. The false teachers take on many forms with custom crafted to times, cultures, and contexts. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to identify just a few of those people that are trying to infiltrate into our churches, not just this one, but other ones. And, and they have such a great way of doing it these days. The thing that's amazing to me is, is that back 50 years ago, it was either word of mouth by face-to-face contact and having a conversation with you face-to-face or it was through written literature. So magazines, pamphlets, uh, whatever else they could drop off at your door or whoever it was. So the two mediums that they used, verbal communication and written communication. Now, it's gone through the internet, it's on your computer, it's on your device, it's everywhere you turn around and look, it's in advertisement, it's everywhere. So we're inundated with all this stuff that's coming at us from all over the place. And so um, as, I, as I describe these people to you this morning, these false teachers that are carrying out deceptive and structured work in the church today, I want you to understand that as you hear the biblical texts that come up, and it's in masculine, masculine form, it could be feminine as well that is the deceiver. It's not just guys. Ladies can also participate in this. And one other thing, I'm not really going to name the name of somebody. So I'm not going to say uh, Joe Schmo, for instance. I'm just going to give you, so here's the first one. The first one is the heretic. And, and the most prominent, perhaps the most dangerous of all false teachers. And Peter warned against this in his second letter to the church, where he said this, But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So what Peter is saying is is that even within the own confines of the church, there are going to be people who are going to start preaching something other than Jesus, something other than the, the way, the truth, and the life. They're going to start delving into things and bringing stuff to us that sounds true-ish, but is not true. And and these people are heretics, and they kind of come up from within, and they establish themselves on the teaching of Jesus and the Word of God, but what they do is they take a little bit of the Word of God and a little bit of Jesus' truth, and they mingle it in with all of their other truth, the heresy, and so it does sound truish to us. And these people, they're really great people. They're gregarious kind of guys or gals. Uh, they're natural leaders in, in their teaching, and, and they just mask their truth 
with deadly error. The second one is the charlatan. And the charlatan is the person who uses Christianity as the religion as a mean of personal enrichment. Paul charged Timothy to be on guard against this person. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissensions, slander, evil suspicions, and constant fraction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godlessness is a means of gain. A charlatan has only one interest, and, and that is, in, the, in our faith, is to pad his own wallet. He uses his leadership position to benefit from other people's wealth. And there are a bunch of them. I took a little trip down internet internet way, because if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. And so I did a little research, and I just typed in 15 wealthiest pastors in the United States. 15 wealthiest. I was number 16. I didn't make the list. (laughs) Let me put it to you this way. The 15th has a net worth of $5 million. The number one wealthiest pastor in the United States has a net worth of $780 million. Now, not all those guys in there are bad guys in that list of 15. For instance, he's dead now, but Billy Graham was in there, and I'm going to tell you this because I really respect Billy Graham and I know about his ministry. He, has, he had $25 million dollars. And I would tell you that just about every one of those dollars that he ever earned in the Billy Graham went back to the Billy Graham Association. He used it for the spreading of, kingdom, of God's kingdom here on earth. Another guy is Rick Warren, Saddleback Church out of Southern California. And you might know him by Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church, uh, Purpose Driven Christmas, Purpose Driven Car, Purpose Driven Wife. Purpose-driven children, <laughs> purpose-driven coffee. I mean, if it's something, it's purpose-driven by him. But he, so he wrote all these books on a purpose-driven life, and they're great books. Matter of fact, in the class that Phil teaches, um, he writes the book that we use for that class. And so if you've never gone through Phil's class, uh, infomercial, talk to Phil after church, and you can find something out about that. But... What happened when Rick Warren started to make all of his money with the sales of his books, here's what he did. He turned around and he paid back 
every red cent that the church ever paid him in a salary for the last 20 years, he turned around and paid them back everything that they ever paid him. That's the first thing he did. And now what he does is he tithes 90% of what he makes. 90% of what he gets, he gives back to other organizations, his church and other nonprofit organizations. Matter of fact, he's a little bit of a braggart because he says he drives a 12-year-old Ford. He still lives in the house that he bought back before he made any money with the books. Um, you know, he, he, he lives like an ordinary guy. His wealth has not defined him. Jesus defines him. And so there are guys like that, I'm just telling you, who do, when they do make money like that, they, they recognize that God has blessed them, and they turn it back, and they give it back to these organizations, and they bless other people. But I will tell you that there are a bunch of them out there that fall under this whole thing of being a charlatan. Because what they're doing is they're just taking money for their own wealth and to pad their own pockets and to do their own thing. And don't get me wrong. I am not against people being wealthy. If you go out and you work hard for that and you, you, you do what God's called you to do, but when you use God as the method of making your money, I think that's my personal opinion. I think it's shameful. Um, next one. The prophet. Now, we do have people in the church that are God-ordained prophets. And, and they're the people that stand up and go, thus saith the Lord. Here's what the Word of God has to say, and they help you understand it in your life. But what I'm talking about here is someone who is a prophet and claims to be gifted by God to speak fresh revelation outside of Scripture or new authoritative words of prediction teaching, rebuke, or encouragement. In other words, what this guy does is he says, well, what you have here from, from God in this book right here called the Bible, it's good, but it's not enough because God has given me a fresh revelation that he has not revealed here, and you need to know this revelation from me. And so he's a self-proclaimed prophet with a new word from God. And I will tell you this, that God has given you everything you need to know about him to have a personal relationship with him that is, fills your life with abundancy from the Holy Spirit. If you study God's word, you will spend your entire lifetime studying the word of God and you will never get through it and you will never understand all of it. Goes back when we think about the prophet. It's the verse I started with from from 1 John, where John told the, the church not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because there are many false prophets, is the word that John uses in there. And, and they're gone out into the world. And so what we have to do as Christ followers is to test the spirits. The next one is the abuser. These are the people that John says we have got to keep our eyes open to because the abuser uses his position of leadership to take advantage of people. And, and by and large, the way they take advantage of people, and this is mostly men in this position, I've not heard maybe one or two women, but mostly men are in this position in, in the spiritual world where they are using their position of authority and power and they abuse people sexually. This is where you see it. You've all heard about it. You've all seen it on television. 
Because they take advantage of people, and, and all that, the reason they do it is to feed their sexual lust. And, and in 2 Peter, it says this, And many will follow their sensual, sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. In other words, there's a sensual teaching that they're going to be teaching other people and they're going to say, this is the way it is. And then they find out and it's a horrible thing to get caught up into. And Jude, he also said this, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who no longer were uh, designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who perverted the grace of of our God into sensual sensuality and denied our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. The abuser claims he is tending souls, but in truth he's investing, all he's investing in is ravishing bodies. When he is not pursuing illicit sexual pleasure, he may be domineering people to gain power, abusing them on his path to prominence. He does this in the name of ministry with the claim of God's anointing. And he does it unapologetically and uses and abuses other people to meet his own needs. Those people have snuck into the church and we have got to keep an eye on it. We have got to protect our people. We've got to protect those little ones right over there and in that room and in that room right back there. The next one is divider. The divider uses false doctrine to disrupt or destroy a church. He gleefully divides brother from brother and sister from sister. Jude warned about him as well. He says, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in, lo- in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The one mark of the, the, the divider, and it's, it's the same with the rest of them, but this is really obvious is that the divider lacks any kind of connection with the Holy Spirit. We'll never talk about the Holy Spirit because the, the divider comes in to destroy the church of God. The, the next one is the tickler, and he's the false teacher who cares nothing about what God has to say, and all he wants to do is tickle the ears of the people so that they lavish accolades on him and makes him feel good about who he is. And so all he does, he never talks about sin. He never talks about hell. He never talks about God's um, discipline in our lives. All he wants you to do is to feel good about yourself. All he's going to do is give you just the, the sugar coating on the whole thing, and he never gives you the full counsel of God. And, and Paul wrote to Timothy and told him this, for the, for the time is coming when people will... N- will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's where the Spirit of God just came in and said, don't say that, so I'm not going to. 
The last one is the speculator. And the speculator is the one that gets stuck on these little um, things. They obsess over little issues or one thing in the Bible, and they neglect the rest of what the Bible has to say. They, 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 they like to just talk about strange teachings and different doctrines. This teaching focuses on speculation, and it displaces the sure and steady doctrine of the Word of God. Now, I don't think that the, the author of the books meant for it to happen. But if you remember the Left Behind series, there was like 23,000 volumes of that or something like that, <laughs> right? Um, it was left behind from your dad, left behind at the grocery store, left behind at church, left behind at Starbucks, I don't know, left behind everywhere. Um, but what happened out of that is the people off of a fictitious book taken off of scriptural reading, off of this fictitious writing of the author, they started to create their own end-time doctrine. They were creating it off of a, a book series rather than creating their doctrine out of the Bible. And I don't think that the author ever intended for that to happen, but that happened. And it was, it was quite disturbing because I would have people, um, this is in my last church, they would come to me and go, I just read this in, in the Left Behind series. Do you think it's really true? And I said, no, because it's all fiction. Well, but it says that, you know, and I go, yeah, but it's not. No, it's all fiction. It's all fiction. It's just fiction. It's not true. You want the truth? Read the Bible. You'll get the truth. So I'm just giving you all those things together to help you understand that, that there are a whole bunch of different kinds of people who are always vying to come in and they want to take over the church of Jesus. They want to do stuff. They want to take stuff. They want to take lives. They want to mess people up. Their whole motive and, and reason that they're behind and doing whatever they're doing in the church is they are promoting themselves. It's self-propagating material that they're doing. They're just talking about themselves. They're, they're building their own kingdom. They're doing all this stuff, and it has nothing or very little to do with Jesus. So beware. Listen. Have a discerning ear when you're listening to them. I'm going to tell you right now. There, if you're listening to somebody online on a regular basis, do the due diligence and do the research and find out about them. Don't just take it at face value because somebody else said this is a good guy. You find out if they're a good guy. You find out what they believe. You find out what they're doing with their money. You find out all those things and then make a decision whether that's a person you really want to listen to or not. Um, Jesus made this statement. He said, Beware of false prophet who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruit. And that's what I'm saying to you. Check out the fruit of every ministry. That's what we're to do. In, as we move along in John's second letter to the church, he says this, verses 8 and 9, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win in full reward everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. 
Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Now, just quickly here, John is warning the church that there are those who constantly on the prowl to find a church where they can get a hearing, get a movement started, getting someone to give them a place in leadership where their voice will be heard, to bring their own take on whatever it is they think is, is new and of God, but is not of God. But when John says that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win full reward, this is not in reference to losing your salvation. I quickly wanted to hit that for you because a lot of times when you read that, you can go, what's the reward? Our reward for everybody who follows Christ is our reward for being um, trusting Jesus as our Savior for the forgiveness of our sin is Not only do we live a life that we are free from guilt and shame anymore, and we also realize now that death doesn't have a grip on us, but we get to live a life of freedom. And that freedom, the reward of all that is to be with Jesus through eternity. But that's not the reward that John's talking about here. What John is saying is is that, as, as was mentioned, that we are going to receive as Christ followers, we are going to receive a reward for what we have done for the kingdom of God here. So some of you are going to have these beautiful crowns filled with all kinds of jewels and all kinds of ornaments. And God's going to keep all kinds of reward on you because you were so faithful and you weren't looking for your reward here on earth. You were looking for your reward in heaven. And when you get to heaven, God, Jesus is going to say, enter into the joy of the Lord, good and faithful servant, and he's going to heap all this stuff on you. And because you're that kind of a person, you're going to go, no, Jesus, not me. You're the one, and you're going to give it back to him. And he's going to go, see, that's why I did that. There are other people that John's talking about here who are looking for their reward here on, on earth, and, and they're Whatever they're doing, I don't know what their motivation is, but all of a sudden they're losing their reward because they're trying to fulfill their, their reward basket here on earth. And so what they get when they get to heaven is they're going to go and God's going to go like, all right, well, you know, here's a bag of marshmallows, some Hershey chocolate, some ground crackers, and some wood, hay, and stubble. So make a fire uh, and eat and enjoy because your reward was back on earth. And so what John's saying is don't, Don't get caught up in this stuff and lose the reward that that you're working towards that God is going to have for you when you get to heaven. It says also that whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Now, I'm going to tell you that I absolutely believe in all of my heart, with all of my heart, that the identifying marker of being filled with the Spirit is the unity that the Spirit brings to the body of Christ. It's not miraculous works. It's not signs and wonders. And it's, it's not the gifts of the Spirit. Because I'm going to tell you that miracles and signs and wonders can be duplicated by Satan. And if you want to know where I understand that from, just go back and read in the book of Exodus as Moses is getting to ready to take Israel out of captivity, being slaves <laughs> in Egypt. And he would do all kinds of miracles. And Pharaoh's prophets and magicians could match a lot of what Moses did, miracle for miracle. So there's a power that the enemy has that he can do that. The enemy can also match gifts, spiritual gifts that God gives to us 
He can match those things. But there is one thing that the enemy will never do, and he will never bring unity to the body of Christ. That goes absolutely against everything he wants to do and wants to see accomplished. He wants to kill, rob, and destroy the body of Christ. And so to bring unity, that comes by the Holy Spirit. Because when God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed together in perfect community, they had perfect unity before the earth was ever created. Before mankind was ever brought to earth, they were already in perfect unity, perfect community with one another. They don't need us. We weren't created to fill some void in God's life. God created us because he has an overflow of love, and he says, where can I overflow that love to? I'm going to create people who are going to be the recipients of my love, and in this perfect creation, they will return that love to me, not because I need it, but because I enjoy them. And so, when you take a look at what it talks about, the Bible, unity, Mark's, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit within the greater collective community of Christ. Matter of fact, in Philippians 2, it says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Same mind means unity. Having the same love, unity. Being in full accord with one mind, unity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Unity, unity, unity. It isn't explicitly said, but it is implied all over these verses. And so that's what the church is supposed to be. The unity is God's work in his lives of people. Look at us. We are a group of people. Just go ahead. I give you permission. Turn around. Take a look at the people behind you. Go ahead. Just look at it. It's the unity of the Spirit that has brought all of you together this morning to worship Him. It's the unity of God among us. And so, the question we have is, what does anyone who is, is not walking and living according to the Word of God, the way that, that John says we're supposed to, what unity do we have with those people? Matter of fact, the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And I'm going to quickly finish off here real quick. Some of you are starting to nod off. So I'll, I'll try and finish here. Um, in, in verses 10 through 11, it says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring the, the teaching of Jesus, do not receive him into your home or give him a greeting. Whoever greets them takes in part in their wicked works. In other words, when, when those people, those people from those religious groups come knocking at your door and they want to come in, you say, no, you're not welcomed here. Just tell them, Go. No, nope, don't want to talk to you. No, you can't have... No, you don't even get 30 seconds of my time. You just need to leave right now. And I know that sounds really rude, 
And I know it sounds really bad, but get this. Here's what happens. Number one, if you say, come on into my house, because you're hoping to have a discussion with them on some level where you're going to find some common ground, you don't have common ground. If they don't love Jesus, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, who was put in the grave and raised to new life on the third day, if they don't believe that, Jesus, if they don't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if they don't believe in that, then you need to kick them to the curb as quickly as you can. Because here's what could happen. Because they come into your house, and then they spend time with you, and at the end of the time, you're like, oh, oh, so frustrating, because all they do is argue every point, and they finally leave. What they do is they go down the road, and they get to your neighbor's house, and they knock on the door, and your neighbor comes to the door, and they say, hi, we're with so-and-so, and guess what? We were just with your neighbor. Are they your friends? Are those people down the street? Yeah, they're our friends. They're our neighbors, but they're our friends too. Well, guess what? They just had us into their home. We had a marvelous time together. And all of a sudden, our think, the thinking of that person is going like, wait a minute, I thought these people were kind of like on the edge and maybe we shouldn't be. And, and, and then all they're going, but if, if Pastor Ken had them into his house, they must be okay. I'm going to let them come into my house because they probably have something that is good for me. Just by the sheer fact that you allow one of these people into your home to talk to you, they can use that entrance into your home to, to worm their way into your neighbor's or your friend's home and bring heresy into the body of Christ. That's why John says, don't, don't even be friendly to them. Don't be mean, but be very, no, 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 bye. Oh, by the way, I'm shutting the door right now. And it's done. The last verse, and and I'm just going to quickly end with this. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come and talk to you face to face and enjoy uh, that our joy may be complete. The children of the elect sister greet you. Now, here's the reason why John says that. You can write a letter to somebody and send it to them, and it can be filled with all kind of encouragement. And they read the letter, and they go, aw, that was so nice. And then they take it, and they round file it. Right there it goes. And that's okay. And I'm not saying you shouldn't send a word of encouragement, but I'm going to tell you that every single time you get together with another Christ follower, you sit down over a meal. You are face-to-face with them. You are connecting on a level that God wants you to connect with. He wants you to connect with him face-to-face. He wants you to connect with each other face-to-face. That's why we are a community of people who want to connect with other people. We're not asking you to send letters to your friends. We're saying go have a meal with your friends, connect with them, have a conversation face-to-face, express the love of Jesus to them through this face. If you have a grumpy face right here, before you go to your neighbors, change it. Put the face of Jesus on. (laughs) Hi, how are you? Jesus loves you and so do I. He's got a wonderful plan for your life which includes discipline. He's going to spank your fanny. 
You got to give them the whole counsel of God, right? I mean, that can be encouraging because sometimes you're wondering why you're getting your fanny spanked. And it's simply because you haven't been doing the right thing and God says it's time for a little fanny spanking to get you back on the right track. Amen? God loves us. He wants us to interact with each other because as we connect face to face, we strengthen the brothers and sisters in faith. And that's where God's calling us to go. So my encouragement today to you is to do this, is to take a look at who you're listening to, what you're believing, what's seeping into your life about the people that are out there. There are some really great teachers and preachers, and you can learn a lot more from them than you're going to learn from me. They are marvelous. I learn a lot from them. There are others, however, who have nothing of your interest in mind. They are self-propagating. They are money-hungry kind of guys and gals, and all they want to do is steal from you. So do your homework and check it out. The second thing I want you to do is I want you this week, I want you to connect with some other Christ followers that are from this church. They may not be here today. Take a look around and go like, hey, Bob and Susie aren't here today. We need to get together with them. Let's have them over for a meal, and let's just tell them how much we love them. When you do that, you're expressing the love of the Father and the love of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you're producing unity within the body of Christ. Amen? Our Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care deeply about every aspect of our life. We know, God, that without you, we would just be running things into the ground. We would be only serving ourselves. We would only want what we want. We wouldn't care about anybody else. We wouldn't be concerned about the interests of others. We wouldn't look out for other people as they're coming and going. We wouldn't be bringing them into our home just to love on them. We would be just doing what you have told us not to do. You told us to love one another. And that through this love we have for one another, all people will know that we are your disciples and that we love you. And so we pray simply today, God, that you would help us to love each other as you've called us to love one another. And as we learn to love one another, you will teach us what it means to love those who don't love you yet. And that we can take your love to them and express it to them in the full counsel that you've given to us. Thank you for ministering your word to us today. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen.